are in uh, Mark chapter 8. We had our little break through the holidays. Now we're going to jump into Mark chapter 8, picking up uh, here. And uh, from verse 1, I'll start reading this, and, uh, and then we'll break it down. It says in verse 1, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them, many of them, came from afar. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took up the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat or broken food that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Uh, This is a carryover from chapter 7. When we left off in chapter 7, Jesus had been performing great miracles. Most we talked about. The only one I didn't mention was the last miracle where uh, he heals a man who was deaf and who had a a speech impediment. At the end of chapter 7, Jesus charges him to tell no men about this, but the more he charged them, so much more of a great deal, they published it. So Jesus is saying, don't say anything. They're going around telling everybody. And we're beyond measure astonished, saying he has done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. So more and more people at this point are following Jesus, some for the miracles, uh, many just to hear his words because no one ever taught like Jesus. This particular group following him here, this is in Decapolis, and this is a Gentile region. So most of these are Gentiles in this account that we're seeing here. And uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and what he's teaching them is very important uh, because these apostles, of course, were Jewish men, and they had their prejudices. uh, Jewish people had prejudice against the Gentiles, and it ran very deep. Uh, The Jews considered the Gentiles to be heathen, to be lost beyond repair, and to be despised by God. But, as you know, Jesus came to save all men, not just the Jews, no one is beyond his reach because he came for every one of us and everyone is in need of saving because the Bible says we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, we've all missed that mark and we stand separated from God and we are all in need of his salvation. That's why Jesus came. So if you're sitting here today wondering if God could save someone like you, the answer is yes. Jesus could save the most righteous sinner, because no matter how righteous you are, I'll never be righteous enough, or you could be the most vile sinner. No one is out of his reach. The disciples needed to know this truth, because soon Jesus would be ascending to his father, and he'd be passing the baton down to these Jewish men for them to carry on his work. Uh, To do it, they had to do it the way God would want it done. Uh, And they would need to minister to all people, to all men, bring this message to all, regardless of race, of color, or creed. Uh, And now that same baton that was given to the apostles has been passed down to the church age. So this is something that we as the church in 2024 need to be reminded of as well, because we live in a time where 
the enemy of man, Satan, is doing his best to divide and conquer. Uh, we are living in a time where, as a nation, we are probably not, you know, probably not since the Civil War have we been this divided, um, you know. And in so many ways, if it's not along racial lines, then it's political lines or religious lines. Uh, that's our culture. And sadly, uh, all too often, what goes on in the culture ends up seeping into the church. And as the church of Jesus Christ in this time that we are living, we can't allow this mindset to creep into us uh, on who we minister to or not, who's worthy of being ministered to or not. That's all nonsense. Jesus ministered to all. And uh, the Jew and the Gentile, because everybody needs Jesus. Uh, he's the only way to have your sins forgiven. If you're wondering how do you get right with God, you have to come through Jesus. That's why he came. He went to a cross bearing your sin so that you could be forgiven and you could be given this free gift of eternal life. And, you know, as I went through this scripture today, maybe some of you heard it and said, wait, feeding the multitude, this sounds familiar little deja vu moment. Anybody ever have deja vu before? You're sitting here saying, huh, I've been here before. <laughs> Maybe you have, because we just did this a few chapters ago, uh, chapter six, where Jesus feeds the multitude. So there are some scholars out there, some theologians, I question the scholarly part, because uh, that would say that this is the same miracle as the one we had looked on previously. Uh, which we read in Mark chapter 6. But these are different miracles, okay? And that's something we have to understand. There's likenesses in them, of course. And if we go into this, and I will say this, and this will be my confession to you, is that as I was, you know, looking at this chapter, and I'm saying, Jesus is feeding the multitude, okay? Well, we just fed the multitude. We looked at that before. Yes, this is a different miracle. But, you know, why don't we just move ahead of this, you know? And it's easy to do that until the Holy Spirit really started speaking to me saying, uh, I put it there for a reason. <laughs> I put it there for a reason. So don't jump ahead from what I gave you. And as I started to delve into it, I, I understood what the reason was. First blush, it's easy to say, okay, there was a lot of people that were hungry. Oh, there's loaves here. Give them loaves. He's going to divide them again. Everybody's going to be fed. All is well with the world. But it goes beyond that, and that's what we're going to look at. And it is, these are different miracles. In chapter 6, uh, Jesus fed 5,000 men, it says, not counting women and children, with two fish, five loaves that the disciples uh, gathered together from a, a, a little lad that was in the crowd who was willing to share his bag lunch. In this chapter, Jesus feeds 4,000, not 5,000. I know in the new math, 4,000, 5,000, what's the difference? It's close enough. But that's a different story. Uh, the real telling point that these are different miracles actually comes from the words of Jesus himself. So I'm going to trust Jesus over the Bible scholars or over the commentators and all these things. He makes it clear, if you just skip down to Mark 8, look at verses 19 and 20. As he's speaking to his disciples, he says, When I break the five loaves among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among 4,000, seven loaves among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. He's saying there's two different miracles. Okay, so even though they're similar in nature, there are contrasts and there are some things that we have to understand here. Uh, maybe there'll be some new fresh truths, nothing like a fresh loaf of bread isn't great. 
fresh loaf of bread. I remember we used to deliver the newspaper with my brother in the morning. The bakery here would make their bread fresh. Go there about 5.30 in the morning, those loaves just coming out. Hot bread with butter? Are you kidding me? Manna from heaven. But anyway, so maybe there'll be some fresh truths from you. But again, many times in Scripture, we're just stirring up things that need to be brought to our remembrance because the truth is, oftentimes we forget. Uh, so the, Jesus, even in repetition, repetition, wastes nothing. And if there's repetition, again, instead of just brushing it over, evidently it's there for a reason. So as we go into chapter 8, we see Jesus is ministering to this multitude for three days, and he knew they were hungry. I mean, three days without eating, that's, a, that's pretty amazing. But they are so caught up in the teaching of Jesus that they've put aside food just to hear his teaching. Think about that. Uh, Job said it this way, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's the question we have to ask ourselves right now. Are we still hungry for the word of God, you know, as Christians? You know, are we still hungry for the word of God? Think about it. The Jews, they had the oracles of God. The Gentiles, this population that he's talking to here, they didn't have the word of God. And they were hungry for it. Think of us. We have Bibles, right? We all, everybody have the family Bible growing up. Remember that big family Bible? In the center of the room, that's what we had. It was there. It was present. Never opened, but it was present, Right? It would open every once in a while. I remember my sister's flowers from the prom were pressed in there. And a couple news articles, they're still in there. 55, 60 years later, they're still in there, pristine condition, right? But the, it was never opened. Think of us as a nation, how many Bibles we have in our homes, different versions and all these things. Uh, are we hungry for the word of God? Because there's other nations that don't have it that, you know, would do anything they could to get the word of God in their hands and are hungry for it. And sometimes we who have it, we take it for granted. A lot of times we're like, or, uh, probably not your kids, but my kids have done this before, where they open up a full refrigerator and say, there's nothing to eat. You ever have that? There's nothing to eat. Really? There's nothing to eat. That whole refrigerator's full of food, and there's a cabinet next to it that's full. We're blessed like that, praise God, because there's a lot of people who aren't. All right, But even though uh, they're saying they're hungry, they look past what's right in front of them. Let's never look past the word of God. And I'm going to tell you something. As we go into these times that we're in, and I believe that we're getting to the end of the age where Jesus says that there's going to be you know, false Christ and all these things. There's going to be deception everywhere. We need to be able to understand the word of God. We need to be able to be in the word of God so we're not duped. Okay, So understand that. Uh, Jesus sees these people who are just hungering. And he says it's been three days. And he knows they're physical beings. They're three days, they're going to be hungry. Again, that's pretty amazing because, you know, I'm getting ready for my donut right afterwards. So, no, I had, my, I had my apple fritter earlier because I need my fruit intake. But there is a soft pretzel out there. There is a soft pretzel with my name on it, okay? Uh, but Jesus understood hunger. He himself took on human flesh, so he understood hunger and what it meant to be hungry. So he recognizes their, uh, their, their predicament, and he feels their need. In verse 2, he says, I have compassion on the multitude. That word is very strong. It means to be so moved on the inside. It actually means from the gut, 
like deep in the bowels. He was so moved on the inside that it compels him to take action on the outside. And again, it's only found in the Gospels, and it's always related to a need, you see. Sometimes you could say, you know, uh, you know I feel sorry for them, and, and that's as far as it goes. But this goes beyond that. It's saying, yes, I feel what they're feeling, and I, and I want to do something about it. You see, what we see, he says, I have compassion. What we see here is that God is a compassionate God. Uh, you know, when you think of the compassion of God, you know, some things should come to your mind. Uh, I know one of the things I think of is the prodigal son. Uh, the prodigal son, prodigal means wasteful. That this son took his inheritance from his father and he went out into a far country and it says he spent it all on sinful living. And when he ends up broke and he's knee deep in pig slop, he decides to go home and he's going to ask his father if he could just no longer be a son but be a hired servant because I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Notice the father's response. It's in Luke 15. It says he arose and came to his father, but when yet he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. He had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. It says, and the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let's eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I love the fact that the father never gets into the whole discussion, are you my son or not my son? Because once you've trusted Christ, you become a child of God. And once you're a son, you're a son forever. And he gets him, and he has compassion on him, and he restores him. And that just, every time I read it, that moves me, because guess what? I've gone prodigal myself. And many of you have gone prodigal. You've wasted what God has given you. You've gone your own way, did your own thing. And what do we see? We run into the compassion of God. And I praise God for his compassion that takes me in and picks me back up. You know, we've all been there. But we have a, a God who's has compassion towards us. In Lamentations 3, we know this verse, I'm sure. It's of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It's by the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed, that we don't perish. Listen, the wages of sin is death. We all deserve death and hell. Praise God for his mercy. If it weren't for his mercy, we'd be finished. Mercy means to, you know, withhold of a, withholding of a just punishment. That's what we deserve. But because of his compassions, plural, they never cease. Praise God for his compassion. If, if, listen, you are up today, you're breathing today because God is a compassionate God. Got to understand that. Next time you want to complain, have your hissy fit, you know, your pity party and everything else, guess what? You could praise God that he's compassionate that he's there for us, and it's new every day. And in Jesus Christ, we see this fullest expression of God's mercy and his compassion. And guess what? He never changes. That he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why he, uh, in Lamentations, Jeremiah could write, great is his faithfulness. That God took on human skin, that he lived and experienced everything that we experienced, yet without sin. And he pities us as a father pities his children. So I praise God for his compassion. It's just so an awesome part of his nature, his divine nature. 
So when we look at Christ, we shouldn't be surprised when he looks at these people and he says, I have compassion towards them. We saw it, matter of fact, four times we've gone through Mark and we saw that when he came up to a leper, it says Jesus was moved with compassion and put forth his hand and touched him and said to the leper, be thou clean. Just think of the, the compassion that here was a man that was an outcast, separated from family and friends for who knows how long. And he was touched by Jesus because Jesus had compassion on him, that it moved him, and he healed him. Another time we read that of the man in the Gadarenes that was possessed by the legion of demons, and it says that he was bound, nobody could bound him with chains, and you know nobody could tame him, and day and night he's crying in the tombs and cutting himself with stones. You see, this man is just tormented, never finding rest, and yet we read that it was the compassion of Jesus who, who cast out the demons and Jesus tells him, go home to thy friends and tell them, tell them how great the things the Lord has done and has had compassion on thee. In Mark 6, we see it again when we looked at that multitude that he fed prior, that Jesus was moved with compassion because he sees them as sheep not having a shepherd and he begins to teach them. Compassion of Jesus is the thing that he knows our needs and he meets our needs. Matter of fact, he knows our needs better than we know our needs. And he meets us in our need. And today in our text, again, he says, I have compassion that I'm so moved on the inside that it's moving me and compelling me to action, to meet their needs. This is important to understand. And it was important for his disciples to understand. It's important for us to understand today that if we're going to be true Christ followers, that's what a Christian is, a follower of Christ, then we need to be like Jesus. And that means to genuinely care about people. As Christians, as children of our Heavenly Father, we're to imitate Christ. It says, be therefore followers of God as dear children. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. We're to mirror him. Listen, if we want to make an impact in this world for the kingdom of God, people need to see that we really care, right? Paul writes it this way, that you could have all these things, but if you don't have love, it's empty. It's nothing. People need to see that we as Christians really care. This is so important that Jesus had to get this message across to his disciples who were going to carry on his work. That's why we're going to see part of the reason why this miracle was given again, you know, because sometimes we need to be taught again. Sometimes we need to be taught again. Sometimes we need it driven home, especially us who are living in these last days. You know what the Bible says? Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. The people need to see, the world needs to see compassionate Christians, people that care about others. You know, let me ask you, do you sense it in your own self that your love has waxed cold, grown cold? Listen, it's very easy. If you're, if you're on a steady diet of watching the news, of just watching social media where there's so much, uh, so much wickedness, so much hatred, so much injustice, it's very easy to wax cold to want to just close yourself off from the world. What you need to do is close yourself off from the news, okay, and get near Jesus because then it'll rub off on you. Okay, because we cannot allow that to happen. So if we see that happening, we have to understand we got to pull those things down. 
And again, I get it because, you know, we were just talking about it in our board meeting the other day that there's people who abuse the system. They abuse the system, you know, they're, 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 they know how to play the system, what's real, what's false, who's the really ones that are in need, who are just abusing it, right? It's, it's tough, isn't it? Hello? Okay, thank you. you. I'm not the only knucklehead that thinks this, right? There's, but that's the truth. And, and, you know, we can't allow ourselves, especially as the church, in this time, God has us here for this place and this time, to close off our compassions to the lost, to those who are in need. And I really believe that's what Jesus is, is, is doing here as he's teaching his apostles. Here's a physical need that comes out. And many times it's those physical needs that drive people to Jesus, right? Think about it. Many times, not all the time, but many times it's the physical need, whether it's a health crisis or a financial crisis, or a relationship crisis, or an addiction crisis. It's that physical need that drives us to Jesus. So all these people, they came with all different needs in the beginning, but now it's three days later, Jesus has been healing, Jesus has been teaching, and all these things, but after three days, they all have the same problem. They're hungry. They're starving, Okay. So we see this. I'm sure that in those three days, listen, Jesus didn't just come to heal. Okay, his main thing, and he said it, was to preach the kingdom of God. So I'm sure in those three days, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, uh, that he would use physical miracles to illustrate spiritual truths, to bring forth the message of the gospel. I'm sure in those three days, at some point or another, they heard, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, a lot of times uh, we get, think this, oh, well, feed people or give to people, that's enough, that's not enough. You see, people need to know that these things are given, but the message is Jesus. Because you can make people comfortable on the road to destruction. We've got we to gotta tell them about Jesus Christ. So I'm sure they learned these great truths, and now Jesus is going to meet their need, this physical need. He knows they're hungry. He says in verse 3, If I send them away fasting to their own houses, they'll faint by the way, for many have come from afar. So his disciples say to him in verse 4, from whence can a man, where can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Now, listen, we could say a lot about the Lord's disciples. One, that they're a very consistent bunch, bunch of unfaithful guys, <laughs> because a bunch of guys that don't get it. I mean, you know, Mark chapter 6, the feeding of the multitude there took place only six to nine months prior previous so when you see something like that same situation same circumstance same response what is that saying i mean think about it he feeds upward of fifteen thousand in the first miracle and now the second time around they're saying where are we going to get this bread right isn't that amazing it's 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 mind-boggling when you think about it first time they saw that all men ate and they were satisfied they take up 12 baskets each get their own basket all right i mean first time okay we could cut the disciples some slack i mean right there's oh i got five fish i mean i got five loaves i got two fish i got about fifteen thousand people here what are we going to do i get that one second time around you got to be saying what are they looking at I mean, six months later, nine months later, you've forgotten this miracle? How could it be? Well, you could do it because Mark 6.52, Jesus said, here was their problem. Their heart was hardened. Their heart was hardened. They didn't want to believe. 
You see, they knew about Jesus. They figured, yeah, he could do all these things, but, and that's the problem when we get to the but, you know. So he says in Mark 8, from whence can he satisfy, where can we get anything, all this bread to satisfy these people? After all they had seen and done, these men are looking at the circumstances and not at the creator. Yes, they were in the wilderness. You know, there was nowhere they could go and retrieve uh, enough bread. So Jesus asked them in verse 5, how many loaves have ye? Notice, in the miracle previously, they went about the crowd looking for what they could muster up together. But I like this time, Jesus asked the apostles themselves, how many loaves do you have? Now it's personal. Now it's personal. Why? Because they need to realize this, that they had a personal responsibility to the needs of the people. Okay? When it gets personal, that's when we begin to doubt. You know? That's why a lot of people don't want to put skin in the game, because I don't want it to be personal. I don't want to get that close where now, all of a sudden, I'm responsible for something. You see, he says, how many do you have? You see, because when you have skin in the game... It does cost personally, okay? We're told as we're following Jesus, what? Count the cost. You see, so a lot of people don't want the cost, so they stay away. Count the cost. It's when we begin to count the cost that we begin to worry if I have enough to make a difference or if I could do enough to have an impact. Or maybe this more than any other, that if I give this, then will I have enough when I need it? You know, we were talking to uh, I was talking to a, a bunch of pastors before because there's, the, you know, uh, there's all these talks about there's going to be the shortage of food and there's going to be shortage of this and shortage of that and people stockpiling food and, and all these kind of things. And I'm not against stockpiling food, but the question is, if you have a brother in need and you stockpile food and he doesn't and you're the Christian, what are you going to say? Be warm, be filled, see you later. What are you going to give? Right? That's a, that's a real question. That's a real question. I remember our pastor's meeting. We were kicking it around. You know, well, if you're the church and you've stockpiled food and now people come in need, what are you going to tell them? Eh, well, we stockpiled. Sorry. See ya. How's that show the compassion of Christ? You see? Sometimes we worry, if I give this, then am I going to have enough when I need it? Sometimes we have a tendency to forget that we can never outgive God. Understand that? We can never outgive God. Whether it's the giving of our time, whether it's the giving of our talents, whether it's the giving of our treasure, we can never outgive God. Jesus says it this way Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all shall it be measured to you again. We can never outgive God. They give of their seven loaves, and we see in verse 6, and he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break, and gave it to the disciples set before them, and they did set them before the people. And they had a, a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded them that they be given also before them. So they did eat, and what happened? They were filled, and took up of the broken uh, meat and broken food that was left seven baskets, and they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Again, we know the story. But numbers are significant in the Bible. Uh, to the Greeks, uh, it was mostly a quantity. 
Seven baskets is seven baskets. But to the Hebrew, if you ever do uh, numeric studies in the Bible, numbers mean something. So it's pretty interesting when you look at it here. Uh, we're told seven baskets. And again, to the Hebrew mind, and for those who have studied this and gone deeper in the word of God, numbers have meanings. And seven and all numbers are symbolic. In the first feeding, the first feeding of the multitude, Mark chapter 6, it was made up of people who were Jewish. There were 5,000, and they had five loaves. And the number five is the number of the covenant. It means covenant. And they took up 12 baskets. So what's it saying? There's 12 tribes of Israel, the covenant with the 12 tribes of Israel. And the second feeding, this crowd is Gentile. Okay, it's Gentile, and there are 4,000. Four is the uh, world number. And seven loaves are taken up seven baskets afterwards, it means completeness or perfection. So what are we saying here? It's an interesting thing. From Ray Vanderland, he does this uh, website that the world may know. It's all about the, uh, uh, what do you call, archaeology and stuff like that. He was saying in this area, the Decapolis, many people in the New Testament times believed the inhabitants of Decapolis were those whom Joshua had driven out of the Promised Land. So it was called Decapolis, ten cities, but it was made up of seven pagan nations. So to the Jews, this land was called the land of the seven. And they viewed these people, he says, as the expelled ones. The expelled ones. So here we have Jesus teaching his disciples that he's the bread of life, not just to the Jew in Mark chapter 6, but to the Gentile here in Mark chapter 8. You know, he looked with compassion on the expelled ones. Man, I saw that. I said, that is so awesome. Because on a personal note, guess what? There was a time when I was one of those expelled ones. That I was outside of the kingdom of God, outside of the covenant of God. And guess what? So were you. Separated from the promises of God. But God, who was rich in mercy, with his great love, would give his son so that we could be brought in, the expelled ones brought into the family of God. Let me tell you something. If that doesn't move you, you're dead! Because that should excite you. It should move you. Okay? It should just move you. That God would go and reach out to us who were once apart from God. Listen, this isn't random, these numbers, because if you'll remember in Revelation, there are seven Gentile churches in our world. There are seven continent people who are apart from God. And it's his will that none perish and all come to repentance. Jesus is compassionate to all. That's what he's telling his disciples then. That's what he's telling us today, that he's compassionate to all that they're to minister to all, and he's driving the point home. That's why he did a, a likewise miracle again, because all need to hear the message of the gospel. Another interesting note is they took up, in the first one, 12 baskets, and that word is an interesting word. It's just they carried these little side baskets, and it was like a personal lunchbox, and that's what they filled, each one. The, the Jews would carry that so that it would be kosher food not touched by the Gentiles. This basket here, these seven baskets, were, is the word where they lowered Paul over the wall. It, it, that's a human being. And so these are seven large baskets that they took in. And what did they took, uh, take in? They took food that the Gentiles had touched, and he brought it together, and guess what? He said, eat, because 
in Christ all are one. It's a tremendous truth that he's showing us that I'm going to tell you something. When I was first going over this, I was just going to go through. But as I started digging deeper, the word of God is amazing. And you know what? Forgive me for thinking, now let me just go to something else. That, you know, there'll be something more. This is so important for us to understand today. That we're here for such a time as this to reach all people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Skip down to verse 19. Because sometimes we struggle. Do we have enough to do the job? Sometimes we struggle, right? Do we have enough to do the job? Well, you know, I've been there. Tonight we got a budget meeting. We got all these things. You know, how much is enough? These are the things, you know, we want to be good stewards of uh, what God gives and all this stuff. And, and how much is enough? And how much should our church have in, you know, in, in, you know for operating costs? And how much? And all these kind of things go on. These are These are legitimate questions, right? Because you have to be able to minister, but you also have to keep the lights on. And so these are the questions that happen. But let me tell you something. How much is enough? Because I hear of churches that have millions of dollars in the bank. Like, he who dies with the most money wins. We're to, we're to minister to people. That's why God provides, so that we could minister. Let me tell you something. Back in 2001, when this building was open, and I've told this story before, but I remember the town wanted us to put asphalt around this building. We're saying, we don't have the money to put asphalt. Can we go with millings? Let's go with millings, and we'll get asphalt later. And they were very nice and said to us, no. <laughs> You're putting asphalt down. So we went to our, our local guy, and he was nice enough to say, you could put asphalt down, pay me when you get it. And Joanne will tell you, because she was the treasurer back then, this building opened and there was $18 in the checking account. $18 in the checking account. Uh, no, no $18 of extra money and operating costs. There was $18 in the checking account when these doors opened. God is good. And now we are here some 20-some years later. I'm going to tell you something. If there was $18 in the checking account right now, here's how we'd be sitting. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? <laughs> That's how we'd be. I, I guarantee it. Because sometimes we forget that God is faithful. We forget God is faithful. He had to remind his disciples, you know, the things they'd seen and heard with their own eyes. Verse 19, when I break the five loaves, look at verse 19, when I broke the five loaves among the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? They said on them 12. And when the seven uh, loaves among the 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? They said seven. They had the information. But look what he says. How is it that you do not understand? Jesus marveled at their lack of faith. And so I can't help but wonder how many times Jesus marvels at our own unbelief. You know, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where the Lord has said to me, how is it you don't understand? How is it you're not getting this? The disciples were concerned about having enough bread, and he says, don't you remember what I did? Don't you remember what I did? So many times as Christians, we spend our days worrying about things that we can't control. And we forget that we belong to the all-powerful God, creator God, who speaks things into existence. That Jesus is always with us. 
But you know what happens too often? We look at our circumstances. How are we going to do it? This little place filled up with, listen, we're the lunch pail gang. You've heard me say it before. We're the lunch pail gang. We don't have the, you know, the doctors and the lawyers and the Indian chiefs. I don't even know if you're allowed to say the last one anymore, but you know, we're just like, we're just like the regular folk. How are we going to do it? Too often we look at our circumstances rather than looking to our creator. And many times we, we fail to pray because our minds are filled with doubts. And, and when we do pray, we pray so small. God, if you could just do this. We all do it. I do it. God, if you could just do this. And he's gone, just? Do you remember me who spoke the world into existence? Do you remember me who said, let there be light and there was light? Do you remember who I am? But Lord, just if you could do this. A lot of times, let's just shoot low so we're not disappointed. Right, let's just shoot low. Because if I pray big and it doesn't happen, I'm going to be bummed, Lord, tell you the truth. So let's just shoot low. Sometimes we just have a lack of faith, but yet I read the scripture and it says, take no thought of your life, Jesus says, what you shall eat for your body, what you shall put on, that he's going to care for us, that he's going to provide for us. Why? Because he loves us. One of the biggest problems for the disciples was they failed to remember the things that they heard and seen about Jesus. Major, major cause of our lack of faith is that we fail to remember the past and what he has done for us. Listen, we forget his promises that he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that I'm always with you. He promised the spirit to us and we have the Holy Spirit of God who will empower us. We forget that he promises to hear our prayer, call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. And we forget these things. We forget the mighty power that Jesus possesses. That's the power that Jeff was talking about last week when Paul says, I want to know that resurrection power, that thing that got Jesus up out of the grave. I want to know it. And we forget about it. We forget about the times that he's moved in our lives in the past, times when we didn't know him, and yet he was there. When you look back on your life and you look at the fingerprint of God on your life, you know he's there. We forget. Worst of all, we forget God loves us. And I get that because sometimes I feel unlovable. God, how can you love me? Look at me. I'm shot out mess. Yet he loves us. Because he tells us he loves us. And that nothing can separate us from his love. That, that for somehow, some way, we're precious to him. I don't know how. But we are. I mean, think about it. If he loved us enough to lay down his life for us when we didn't know him, how much more now that we're his children? Yeah. We forget. And because we forget, it causes a lack of faith. Jesus was preparing his disciples for the ministry to come so that they could serve him without fear knowing that he would be there, knowing that his power is available, knowing that he would provide their need. So he says to him, how don't you understand? This isn't the first time that he would address the hardness of their hearts and it wouldn't be the last. How don't you understand? Let me encourage you today, let me encourage me today to remember Jesus. Remember all that he's done. 
when you're faced with difficult circumstances, when you're tempted to doubt, look to Jesus and remember what he's done in the past and trust that he'll do it again. Listen, 2024, just starting the year. Let me encourage you. I said that's going to be our word. Let me encourage you to, to seek to trust him daily. Lord, I believe, help me with my doubt. Let's avoid putting him into this position where he has to say, listen, having eyes, don't you see? Having ears, don't you hear? Don't you remember? Instead, let us remember the works of his hands. We're going to close in a song here. I know in the last song that many people run out. I get it. There's some people that have to run to the bathroom. I get it. After what I just, the surgery I had, I get it. All right? I get it. Let me just encourage you. Unless you cannot but have to go out, stick around and let us worship the Lord because that's what we're going to be singing. I will remember. I will remember the works of his hands. Listen, if you're a little late, your kids will be there. Will there be a line at the checkout? Yes, but you'll be okay. Uh, will you miss your apple fritter? Maybe. These people fasted for three days. If you miss your apple fritter, you're going to survive. Let me just ask you to stay in your seats and just, if you even don't know this song, just let it minister to you and let it remind you that we need to remember the works of his hands, what he's done in our lives, because he is faithful. And let's be busy about his business, knowing that he is faithful to provide what is necessary to get his work done in this world. Amen? Let me have the guys come up.